Hello, everyone. You're in it. This is Dave Birnbaum. Bree Scully is who we have today. She is the customer experience manager at Spatial, a startup that creates collaboration tools and software. Spatial is a cross-platform collaboration environment that lets people meet in a virtual space no matter what device they have. So some people can be in an AR headset, others in a VR headset. Still other people can join the same room from a mobile device or even a traditional webcam. It's hard to explain if you've never tried it, but imagine that the walls of your office become virtual canvases on which you can stick holograms of sticky notes, photos from the internet, and so on. You can also place and manipulate 3D models in the middle of the room and view them as a group. Bree explains it better than I could. She also talks about the motivation behind the company and how it operates, XR for productivity and remote work in general, the cognitive effects of body movement and spatial computing, how to land your dream job in the tech industry, the first generation of XR natives, which is a term that's possibly coined on this show. I would have to check that. AR as enabling analog-like user experiences and the social consequences of the convergence of AR and 5G. So here we go. Hi. Hey, Brie, how you doing? I'm good. Big, crazy week for Spatial. We launched a beta program of our new build that's coming out at the end of August. So super, super busy week over here. But Wow. You just launched today? Earlier this week, we started. This was the big 1.7 release? Yes. Yeah. Cool. So it exists and it's starting to be out in the wild. Awesome. Well, I'm really excited to talk to you today because Spatial is a really great app that I've been using with my colleagues and it's been getting a lot of attention, a lot of press because it really seems to be a harbinger of the new way of working. Obviously, it's a cross-platform AR VR app. And so I'm really excited to unpack with you not only how it works, but your background and how you came to Spatial because you have actually a really interesting story. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and how your experience in XR led you to Spatial? Absolutely. So I was actually introduced to XR when I was 11 years old. I have an older brother who works in the space. He worked at Mateo and now he's a producer at Apple. And so, you know, when he was just getting into XR, he started showing it to me and I too became obsessed with it, which actually led me to ethnographic research into augmented reality. So as a media anthropology major, I did a lot of research into how augmented reality is affecting society. That's cool. Yeah, the, you know, the effect on society is pretty interesting. And so you came to it from an art history and anthropology angle. Is that right? Yeah. So it's talking about material cultures and how new technology throughout time has changed the way that people communicate and assign meaning, art, religion, technology have all had this shared growth, I suppose. Mm -hmm. So I became really interested in how it's changing the way that people communicate and really assign meaning to spaces and places. And so that's kind of where I dove in, talking about how virtual worlds and undefined holographic hybrid spaces are becoming new field sites and places where people still meet face-to-face, but under new definitions of meet and face. Hmm. Yeah, 
That's really interesting. And we'll get into that later. So you had this really amazingly early exposure to XR, which, you know, I think is probably not going to be unique for long, but is unique right now. So you have a really valuable perspective on that. You've grown up with this stuff. So after your academic work, you went to Meta, is that right? Yeah. So I moved out to California right after college, started working on Meta's global markets team. Meta, I don't know how much you want to go into like the trajectory of Meta, but when I started working there, I was fully bought into this idea of the holographic campfire and integrating neuroscience and augmented reality. And yeah, Meta is just a, was a super cool, unique company. So after Meta, I worked at a company called Iris VR. So they are pretty well known in the architecture, engineering, construction space. They are really good at bringing any type of CAD model into virtual reality. So very, very niche use case, but they nail it. So that was really interesting. And I learned a lot about 3D file formats while I worked there. Hmm. So after I looked at Iris VR, I told you, talked earlier about my brother who introduced me to the technology. He ran an agency called Scully Creative Labs. And when he went full-time at Apple, couldn't run anymore. So I took over Scully Creative Labs, but that was around the time when Spatial came out of stealth mode. Mm. And I was like, you know what? I have to work there. <laughs> I got to do it. Wow. So you just cold called Spatial and was like, I'm working for you? Yeah. So our head of business, Jacob, I I sent him a series of emails. And then we actually met up at AWE. Yeah, I, I was just really passionate about what Spatial's working on. Still, I am really passionate about what Spatial's working on. So. That's cool. That's actually a great message for some of the people who are earlier in their career who are listening. Like I, I kind of got my job the same way. I decided I wanted to work for Immersion and I just emailed them and found the right people over time. It took many months, but it worked out. And it's kind of like, don't expect the normal job finding process to necessarily work. Sometimes you have to, instead of responding to ads and openings, it's all about figuring out what you want to do finding the right group of people that you want to work with that you know inspire you that you're passionate about the subject matter on and then go and get it right yeah my advice to anybody is people love if you care about their product you know especially in you know my career has been in the business development side mm -hmm. passion sells people who you're talking to and trying to get excited about a product if it's oozing out of you you know it's yeah and those are the most effective people anyway so you, you definitely want to hire that kind of person okay so you just mentioned your customer experience and business development at spatial can you tell me a little bit about your role uh absolutely so spatial is around 30 people my role in particular is kind of at a cross-section of business development and customer experience and Spatial is very hands-on with all of our users so anyone who signs up for a spatial account a free account we have onboardings every day and I meet with all of our users if they want to, free will, they don't have to, but they can meet with me and I'll walk them through every step of the process, mm -hmm. you know, from setting up their headset to ideas about use cases, all of the features. And then the other end of my role is uh, working very closely and hands-on with our enterprise customers. So for people who've never used Spatial or they're new to this, how does it work? What are the use cases? Spatial is a AR VR remote collaboration platform. So from a 2D photo, you create a three avatar, which you can use to meet with anyone anywhere in the world. Whether you're using augmented or virtual reality, you can join a shared space and meet with people anywhere in the globe. And while you're in there, you can bring in both 
2D content in the form of PDFs or JPEGs or 3D content as holograms, these big and small virtual objects to collaborate around. You can draw on them, do searches, pull in both 2D and 3D content just from the web, as well as add sticky notes and collaborate in a myriad of different ways. You know, we have people who are doing product design in spatial, you know, for example, we work with Mattel designing toys in spatial to doing a product management or design thinking workshops. Hmm. We have people who have scrum meetings and just use the sticky notes all over the walls or people creating war rooms for their marketing campaigns. So there's a lot of different use cases for spatial. And the beauty of spatial is that it is a blank canvas for people to use in whatever way they see fit. Hmm. And so you've been at the company over a year now, right since they came out of stealth mode almost till now. So you've seen a lot of this excitement and growth. What has that been like? There's been a lot of publicity around Spatial and Spatial has been growing and I've been growing a huge thanks to the amazing team at Spatial and been learning a lot about, you know, the industry and the technology and Spatial itself as a software has totally changed just as far as the quality of the types of meetings, the features that are in the meetings, the amount of people you can have into the room to to integrations. You know, with COVID-19, we saw such a huge grow in demand from a 400% increase on the website traffic to an 1,000% increase in account creation. Wow. So yeah. it's been pretty wild. Actually, I was reading something recently. Oh, no, it was actually a previous guest was saying that at the beginning of COVID, when there was a lot of uncertainty about the economy, a lot of those funding for VR, AR dried up. And then all of a sudden it came back with a vengeance because people realized that this might be the future of work, at least for a while, or maybe even a permanent change. And so it must have been crazy to see this like swinging pendulum at the beginning of the pandemic. And now it's swinging back in your favor. Right. Yeah. Everyone had a panic moment and disappeared. And then they were like, oh, wait, this will help us. That's definitely been the case for some people. So it's been interesting to watch the trends. And also there have definitely been light switch flicked and people were like, oh, I get it. I get the point now. This is going to help me. And I don't know about you, but I've been kind of loving working remotely. So I hope it continues. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I've been working remotely for a while now. So for me, it was almost no transition at all. But something I wonder is business travel. Even if people wind up going back to work and, and going back to offices to some extent, I don't think it'll ever be as much as before. I agree. You know, I think a lot of people are permanently remote now. But even then, business travel might be even more affected because it's so disruptive. Mm -hmm. You know, if I'm going to cross an ocean to go shake someone's hand and have a meeting or even two or three days of workshops, it's the whole week I'm jet lagged. Maybe I get sick. It's so disruptive to both my work and my home life. And to imagine that you could get maybe 80% of the same experience over the internet is just a huge boon, right? I mean, it's like so much better that I just wonder if business travel won't even be more affected than remote work versus on-site work. Absolutely. I mean, spatial pre-pandemic, that was really part of what we were talking about and preaching is if you were to fly to Korea round trip, you would waste more energy than people who are vegan and recycle their entire lives from an environmental cost. Yeah. If we can reduce even a fraction of it, the environment, just your 
employees energy and time expended there's like the entire day lost from traveling and then the cost of putting them up in a hotel it's just is kind of the snowball effect and while i don't think that ar and vr will or should replace in-person connections i think that there's a certain degree of importance of travel and think people will just stop and think before they book a flight to go have a meeting because it's there's just other alternatives yeah yeah <laughs> well and ar and mixed reality generally so you know we talked a little bit about how you're an xr native i don't know if i'm labeling you wrongly there but i feel like you deserve that label you're an xr native right you you grew up with this stuff what's that <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I'm, I've never been referred to as that before. <laughs> but, but so, so I mean, here's an example. Like my kids, I have nine year old boys, and even when they were young, like three, four years old, right? We went to this mall where the map was a screen, and they just put out their hand and started swiping at it and trying to touch it. They did this to our home TV too because they used an iPad, so it was like three year old brain is being like, oh, I can move stuff around on this screen. That's just how the world works, right? And for us, it was like, oh my gosh, that's so funny. They've completely internalized this idea of a touchscreen. And so being a native viewer of a technology, you might have even more insight than the people who are coming to it later because you can see what its potential is, what its pitfalls are, or like where the opportunities are for use cases and improvement. So why are you passionate about AR? And I've heard you in the past speak about AR versus VR. Like why did you, aggressively pursue this career in AR? Great question. So I like AR because I don't buy into being disconnected from your real world. I can't spend that much time in VR. I really can't. I can spend maybe a half an hour in a meeting, but if I'm in the Hollands too, which is what I do most of my meetings in, you know, I can last much longer. I'll usually spend three or four hours a day uh, meeting with people in spatial and Hmm. sometimes more. I see AR as being this technology with the potential to replace computers, replace phones. VR can be really great. Um, You know, it's often been talked about as an empathy machine. It's great for gaming. It's great for taking people out of their reality and entertaining and educating. It can replace TVs and theaters in that way, Hmm. not necessarily your day-to-day communication. Yeah. Also, you've talked about the cognitive benefits at one point, which I thought was really interesting, the way that you like to pace while you think. Oh, yes. When you're meeting in spatial, I'm walking around to grab objects. I'm pointing at things. I'm pacing around. You know, I'm not the only person who, if they pick up their phone, starts pacing around their room and thinking more clearly. And, you know, I don't know if that's because I have ADHD and I like being on my feet and moving around. So I'm not fidgeting in my seat or because we are spatial beings. People are intended to position things around your space. And, you know, I know that my lamp's over here and that my LaCroix is here Mm. and I'm going to remember where these things are. And so when you're putting information on a wall, like for instance, if you're working in spatial and you're managing a project, I personally would so much rather have something that is in my physical space and not trapped in this rectangle of my computer. And that's part of, you know, what spatial talks about and other companies I've worked at talk about, like, I sometimes just want to like rip these web pages out of my computer mm-hmm. and Spatial is putting a browser into our next build. So we're super excited about that. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, actually it reminds me of something I heard on Sam Harris's podcast a while back. It was about neuroscience and I can't remember who the guest was, but the idea was that one of the reasons that we may have as humans developed an ability to model the future and plan is because we can move. 
like the ability of, of an animal to move its body means that it needs to develop like a sense of if it moves, what will happen, right? And then that turns into planning for the future. It's just interesting to think about spatial computing as really about enabling human movement during the process of interacting with digital artifacts. Absolutely. I think being able to move is important to how we interact with the world and technology, but I think it's also just healthier for us physiologically. We weren't meant to sit at desks. And there's Zoom fatigue. So wait, you said you're on spatial four hours a day or more. Do you do Zoom as well on the balance of that time? I mean, yeah, so Zoom, like other other tasks on my computer and then increasingly as people need help in spatial, I'm jumping into spatial with them. So is there an advantage to the Zoom style interaction versus spatial? Is it, is it good for a different type of meeting or a different type of interaction? A lot of it is a comfort level. There's a familiarity. Hmm. And so I usually like to do intro calls and when people are still in the exploratory phase on Zoom, mm-hmm. because you know, you don't want to throw people into a technology that they're not really ready to experience. Like if you haven't tried AR, you can't really even comprehend what it's going to be like. Yeah. Now I want to ask you as an anthropologist, you talked about meaning and what AR and mixed reality means. So what do you think is the positive and negative outcomes that could come about from ubiquitous spatial computing, not just spatial the company, but rather VR and AR being woven into daily life? There are great ways that AR can become part of people's everyday lives. And there's too much of this potentially good thing. It could also become very scary, you know, like AR advertisements popping up on sidewalks as you're walking down the street in your AR glasses. You know, nobody really wants that to be the future. And I think that a lot of people who work, you know, in in any emerging technology have a great excitement and great fear. And, you know, at least for me, that was part of why I wanted to be a part of the AR VR industry, helping in any tiny way that I possibly can, you know, shape it to be the best version it can be rather than used to distract people. Yeah, I've come to a very similar conclusion because I work in haptics, right? And so you're dealing with technology that literally touches people and you go into ethical questions about who do you allow that permission to and how do you enable the user to stay in control and what do you use that for? Obviously, being touched is deeply emotional and instinctive. And so you might be able to influence their behavior in ways that they don't want, but maybe they don't even notice. So those issues come to the fore for me too. And I came to a very similar conclusion to you, which is there's really no way to just avoid these issues except for to say the people who apply their talents and their focus will be the ones that determine how it turns out. So if you care about this, get involved and apply your talents to make sure that the future turns out in the way that you envision. There's really not a better answer than that. It's just hard work and staying engaged and having these kinds of conversations, I think, are really important. Right. So this is the type of conversation I have pretty often. My partner runs a brain-computer interface company, Mm. and we actually met while we were working at Meta and building brain-computer interfaces into augmented reality definitely heightens that, you know, stress of now I know how you're perceiving the content that you're seeing, how it's making you feel, Mm. you know, you have to have ethical conversations at every step of the way, because sometimes it's scary. The things that technology makes people capable of, mm-hmm. but not not necessarily should. Mm-hmm. But you know, on a positive note, there's a lot of great, great good, and that really outweighs the potential scariness of yeah. new tech. No, I agree. 
Well, wait, let's talk a little bit more about spatial before we get too theoretical, because um, yeah, something sorry, that, I can go going. <laughs> no, no, it's awesome. It, it's, it's a great conversation, but I just want to close on this because spatial, they've unlocked something, right? Like there's something about the way that it works that seems to really enable collaboration and productivity. Yeah, absolutely. So the engineers and designers who work at spatial are all incredible. Our CEO is Anand Agarawala. He created a company called Bumptop, which was a touchscreen desktop, which he sold to Google in 2010. And he became a product manager on Android. And our CTO, Jinha Lee, he was a PhD at the MIT Media Lab, and he was creating augmented reality desktops. And he then went on to design Samsung TV's interface. For the work there, he was ranked by Fast Company as one of the world's greatest living designers. The two of them actually met through the TED Talk community and teamed up in 2016 to found Spatial. So they had very you know shared interests and started working towards an augmented reality platform. And this was around the same time that the HoloLens 1 came out. So mostly prototyping on the HoloLens 1. And they started building this amazing team around them. So one of them is Peter, who's our head of design. He designed Google Hangouts and Google Material Designs, and then was a uh, head of design at Uber. And then the rest of the engineers and designers, they all have equally um, incredible resumes. The team just has this deep understanding of usability and what would bring ease to this type of very complicated technology really design driven. Yeah. And you've talked about the usability, which I think is one of the breakthroughs, like somehow you, you made a lot of progress on usability. But then the other thing that Spatial is doing is this cross platform. You can use this not only from VR or AR, but then also you can join from a regular webcam. And that makes all the difference because now not only is it more inclusive so that you can have meetings in Spatial without having everybody have a headset, but it's almost like a built in promotion tool. You know, you join a meeting and there's one person with this fancy headset and you're like, wow, I, I got to get involved in AR. It's like a way of branching out and like involving more people. Exactly. You can show up as a video stream of yourself and still participate in the conversation and see everything that's going on in the room without a headset. And there's definitely a degree of, wow, now I have to get a headset. I understand what this is about. We are, are also launching on mobile, iOS and Android, both on phones and tablets. And what's really exciting about that is that it opens up another layer of accessibility because that's actually a full participation version of Spatial. I think that's something that's really unique about Spatial is the emphasis put on accessibility because it's unique, I think, in the collaboration space to be cross-platform working across the Holland 1 and 2, Magically, Oculus Quest, and Unreal. It helps not only, you know, make spatial accessible, but also helps adoption because if I don't have a headset, it's not like, okay, well, like, well, let's go back on Zoom because you don't have a headset. They can still participate and still be part of it. What are the current limitations of air headset technology and how fast do you see that changing? Some of the limitations, of course, are cost, but that's actually quickly changing. So the Unreal or the Oculus Quest is three or $400, which is great as compared to what it used to be. Mm -hmm. Some of the other limitations are just the ability to render the types of models that a lot of people are currently working with. So it's a really interesting challenge. And you've also talked about frame rate issues and how like AR has a more challenging task because it needs to mix virtual objects with reality. So your expectations are higher. Yeah, so that's a 
huge technical challenge. VR, you only have to have things rendering at 90 frames per second for your eyes to be tricked, your brain to trick. Hmm. But if you're comparing holograms, so the same virtual objects, literally people in spatial in the same meeting on AR and VR, it's harder to have that same clarity because you're competing with the real world for frame rate. And so that's a technical challenge. It is definitely the reason that I think people, a lot of people gravitate towards VR because of that perceived quality. Well, but wait, so then there are these new headsets. So there's HoloLens 2, you mentioned Unreal. So what are the advantages of the the new crop of headsets coming out now? So the HoloLens 2, I think, has been out for about a year. And they're really great. Better field of view and hand tracking and eye tracking since the HoloLens 1. The the Unreal, I think, is going to be a really big deal. So it's a Chinese company. The consumer price, I believe, is $499. And the graphic quality is incredible. And it just looks like a pair of sunglasses. So what they did really well is add this element of style to AR. You know, a lot of people's resistance to AR and VR is just, I don't want to put something on my head that's clunky, it's embarrassing. Um, mm. But if it looks sleek and cool, it's actually I've had interesting conversations with like fashion companies around that, where they are gravitating towards things like Unreal. Yeah, it's interesting too that you mentioned the cost and the social consequences of wearing a headset, because I was thinking about this as you were talking, and it's like back when desktop computing started at work, First of all, it's unnatural. You're like typing. Not many people knew how to type. And so it was like an uncomfortable transition. And they did cost thousands of dollars per worker. The reason that you got it was because it was such a huge productivity boost that it was like, we need to retrain. You're going to have to learn how to type. You're going to have to learn how to use Microsoft Excel. And that's just it because it's so valuable. I almost wonder if the fact that HoloLens 2 is still considered expensive just means that the value still doesn't quite match the cost, you know, it's not quite useful enough quite yet. But if it was maybe wider field of view, maybe more comfortable to wear something like that, then maybe $3,000 for an excellent AR headset that let you get out of your computer, think clearly because you can move while you think and talk, that would not be that expensive. So it's really just a value proposition issue, right? It's not really cost per se. It's both value and it's understanding, Uh, like understanding the value is difficult for this technology. Yeah. All right. Well, so wait, so let's imagine a future where AR technology is really advanced and it's ubiquitous and it's lightweight, HoloLens 6 and Real 4, whatever it is. How would it affect Spatial's primary use case of productivity? And I guess a follow up to that is as an anthropologist, like what do you see in store for society generally? So starting with society generally, AR is this great tool where you can say, go on a walk, go on a hike, and you can have the ability to not have to look down and take yourself out of your space. And you see people now wanting to return to natural and analog experiences, like reading a book or people listening to vinyl records more, for example. As we advance technology, we also have this deeper appreciation for time away from technology because of the way that AR blends into the world in a more natural way for both our minds and our bodies. Um, you know, that's that's my uh, my hopes and dreams. It's interesting to think of AR as an analog technology. It's not analog, oh, obviously. <laughs> not, but it allows you to... Yeah, the interactions are more analog in a way. Maybe they will be one day. They're not quite yet, right? But 
Yeah. In a world where there's perfect hand tracking. Yeah. Um, okay. Perfect hand tracking, maybe haptics, maybe. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Haptics. Yeah. Better. <laughs> you don't have to say <laughs> that, but uh, better shadows and, and lighting so that things look like more mixed. Actually, you mentioned not having a phone. And also you've said before that, you know, not having a phone is maybe irresponsible somehow. And that's kind of an unfortunate reality, but that's what we think. You leave without your phone and you're taking a risk with your life. You know, first of all, you're not working, you're not available to work or to your family if they need you. But then what if there's an emergency and there's this anxiety around having a phone or not? And, and you know, maybe the analog experience of AR will make you less tethered to what you perceive as external devices. Right. If my sunglasses can be in sunglass mode, but then turned into also my AR device, but I don't have to necessarily be thinking about it. You get to have your phone, but not be having to think about it. So you're talking about walking around with a headset. Does the idea of 5G or next generation wireless networks play in at all to this vision? I mean, are you thinking about that at work or is that something where it'll happen when it happens and you'll be prepared? Or are you thinking about use cases enabled by ubiquitous broadband? Absolutely. It's something that Spatial is actually thinking a lot about as we've already partnered with a number of telecom companies, particularly around the Unreal device as it plugs into phones to be its primary power and Spatial. You know, you have to have your device connected to the Internet to use Spatial. We are you know, working with telecoms all over the world. Are there any upcoming dates or milestones or events that you want to mention? Yes. So in the end of August, early September, Spatial is releasing 1.7. And we're super excited about 1.7 because it has a lot of new functionality. So one, the the ability to whiteboard in Spatial. So being able to just use you know your finger or your controller, depending on device, to draw collaboratively in an AR space. Then integrations with software such as Slack and Figma and Google Drive and OneDrive. We also are releasing hand tracking on the Quest, so you don't necessarily have to hold your controller. And then in September as well, the release of the iOS and Android builds. Oh, cool. Do you know when Unreal is coming out? Is that public yet? I knew their date before coronavirus. I have the impression that it's changed, so I'm not exactly sure. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, where can we follow your work online? We are very active on Twitter at SpatialXR. Yeah, also on LinkedIn. And then my name is Bree Scully, occasionally called Brianna as well. <laughs> so, All right, Bree. Well, thanks so much. It was really a great conversation and I'm excited to see where this goes. I love the perspective of AR as an analog interaction. I'm going to think a lot about that. So thanks for your insights. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I really appreciate it. It's, it's an honor. Take care and talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening. More information about this show is available at podcast.davebirnbaum.com. Beats by Ilya MC. Copyright 2020.